Hey guys, just a brief background. Dr. Malcolm Kendrick brought out a rather provocative blog post in January, and I chatted to him afterwards, and we agreed it'd be a great idea to get with Dr. Scott Murray, cardiologist, and thrash the issue out in kind of a friendly debate or discussion. So I think you'll get a lot of useful information here, which really clarifies the issue. And watch out for the Kickstarter campaign for Extra Time, a new movie from Donal O'Neill of Serial Killers, and it will follow people who have gotten their scan results and taken action to prevent that future heart attack. So if you want to know what your risk is for heart disease, have a coronary calcium score. Here we are with Dr. Malcolm Kendrick and Dr. Scott Murray, cardiologist, and we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of coronary artery calcification scanning, CAC. Should one get one or not? And I think we agreed, guys, that we're going to start off today with the, one of the questions we didn't get to before, and it's around whether a randomized control trial is needed to prove that a high-score, high-risk patient getting the score and then actions are taking that the actions will actually lead to better outcomes and that RCT question will also tie in with screening in general how effective is screening and has it always been proven to be effective in getting actual outcomes improved or is sometimes is it a paper tiger so I think Malcolm if you could kick off first for your thoughts on screening and the need for potentially an RCT or randomized control trial Thanks. Yeah, I think this is where it kind of is where my concerns lie, if you like, about it. I think that um, the CAC screening is is very good at identifying people at risk, much better than any other mechanisms that we have, blood tests, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I've always, I've looked at screening uh, a lot of times. I've studied it. I've analysed it. I've even read books on it. And um, but I've seen that a lot of interventions that people have thought are going to be good, not just screening. I think we talked about this earlier. Um, Ivor was. Um, the, the very, one of the very first interventions in cardiovascular medicine was, was after having a heart attack. The first ever Herrick identified the first ever non-fatal MI in 1913, and then immediately said, and what you should do is six weeks of strict bed rest. The patient should lie in bed, not move a muscle, and should, if they need a poo, they have a poo in bed. If they need a pee, they have a pee in bed. They lie flat. They can't even sit up at the end of the bed. This was standard medical treatment following a heart attack until 1960s. So it went on for 50 years. There's no evidence whatsoever that this was a good thing to do, but it sounded like a good thing to do. You've had a heart attack, your muscles have been damaged, you must rest it. Six weeks, that's the sort of time it takes for a bone to heal, so probably about the time it takes for a heart to heal. Now I did a, a vague analysis of this, and um, at one point reckoned it wiped out millions, millions and millions of people. Lying flat in bed for six weeks, you're almost bound to get a DVT. That goes to your lungs, you die of a pulmonary embolus. Also, your heart muscle degenerates very rapidly. It was only in the 1960s when they actually did the astronaut trials. They found putting fit young 18-year-olds in bed for six weeks just to see what would happen if nobody moved for six weeks was damaging their hearts. Suddenly, no more did we have strict bed rest. And in fact, one chap who looked at this, Bernard Lone, in the 1950s said, I, I really don't think people should be lying in bed. He tried to sit them up at the end of their bed and other doctors we got medical students to come through his ward with coffins on their shoulders with the word murderer on the side. So certain were they, this was really absolutely the thing that should be done. And, and Bernard Lowen in the 60s when coronary artery bypass grafting came in, and he was worried, he was concerned that people were getting angiograms, they were showing a blockage in the left anterior descending, 
and they were calling it a widow maker, which is where this comes from, the whole widow maker thing. And, and then they were being said, well, would you like us to do something about your widow maker or would you like us to leave it alone? And of course, everyone had the operation. So the, the immediate um, activity was, was people went straight into it. He was finding people who had angiograms. The angiograms were causing them harm. And he tried to do a clinical study. At the end of his clinical study, which he did manage to do, which took him four years to even get published, he showed that in many cases, just using standard medical treatment was as effective as having a coronary artery bypass graft. This is in the non-acute situation. So I've seen examples going on. And you said we, we discussed screening. You know, the first ever screening program was, was um, with chest x-rays to find out if people had lung cancer. They had to abandon this very quickly because, first of all, they saw all sorts of things and didn't know what they were. And then by the time they actually were able to see a cancer, it was too late to do anything. So that had very, very poor outcomes. So we see the, the weaknesses of screening, the weaknesses of scanning. There was a study in the BMJ showing that all the cardiovascular risk factor study analysis and intervention programs studied over the last 50 years, the net effect had been 0.00. So perfectly around, um, around a one, as I say, as an odds ratio, that actually the confidence intervals were 0.98 to 1.02, which may not mean anything to most people. It just means really absolutely no effect. So I'm always concerned that when you start doing screening and you start scanning people, that you must do the next thing, which is to show that it really, really works. Because if you don't do that, people like me are always going to say, I know it all sounds like it makes sense. I know everything sounds like it makes sense. But to quote um, uh, one of the Huxleys, I don't think it was Aldous Huxley, the tragedy of science is the, the slaying of a beautiful hypothesis by an ugly fact. And unless you do the RCT examination, you might think you've got everything sorted out. And then and the final problem, I think, is that, yes, you can show somebody they're at risk because they've got, coronary, they've got a high calcium score in their arteries. But unfortunately, I also feel is you're then sending them off into a world where potentially they might be told, I think it was your comment, yeah, they'll all, they'll all, they'll all be um, put on a low-fat diet and a statin and turn into vegans. And really, this is probably not going to give them any benefit. So that's me trying to summarize my, my concerns, I think, yeah. and um, yeah. attack me at your will. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, Malcolm, and in fairness, so if you parse that out, we've got kind of poor screening programs in the past, and I know mammograms is another. There are many examples where actually they presumed by finding cancers supposedly early that they would do treatments more early and that they would get better outcomes. And it didn't quite pan out so much because there was over-diagnosis, over-intervention. So there's various screening programs where assumptions were made and they weren't good. And then on the bad interventions, yeah, I mean, the sleeping one is a classic example, or not sleeping, but the lying down and resting. Uh, and we've got lots of other examples as well. I guess for me, what's really different though, is that uh, the RCT, I don't think would ever be required for the calcium scanning because the specificity and the sensitivity is so strong and we know there's an enormous relationship with risk, right? So we know it will identify the at-risk people. So there's no question about that. That's locked in. Now, the second uh, deductive or inductive step is to say that we can go in when we have the at-risk patient and we can help 
slow their progression or change their outcome. So it's it's not really like, um, you know, A causes B and B causes C, therefore A causes C and all these logical mistakes that were made in the past. This is pretty bulletproof. For me, the whole question is when you identify a high scoring person who the day before thought they were low risk and was sleepwalking along, can you go in and actually help resolve that progressive modern chronic disease and take away the risk? Yes, now, I think that's what I, what I mean by outcomes is that is the outcome is the reduction, the actual real reduction in risk. They did an analysis of the American um, CV risk score where they went back through the records and then said, well, how accurately did this predict what actually happened? And what they found was the prediction was rubbish. I think that's not true with CAC scanning. But the question then is, well, if you find you're at high risk, are the things that we then do for you beneficial? Bill it like finding breast cancer and then um, taking it out, but finding that it then reappears one day later somewhere else and you've actually achieved nothing. So it's, it's, it's the, it's the do, can you then stop it going forward for sure in sufficient number of people that you're doing an overall benefit study that that's the outcome study that's the outcome the outcome is demonstrating that you can take positive action based on finding out the risk uh, so we acknowledge that the calcium scan will tell you the risk to an incredible degree it does that bit perfectly the question is can we actually fix the problem then now i think cancer is a poor example in some ways because i don't want to get into the cancer discussion but the reality is you know there has not been a whole lot of progress as much as was expected in the last 40 years so it might be a case where you can't change the outcome as much as you'd like for me the difference with uh, heart disease is we now have people all over the world hundreds of emails i've got with people slowing and stopping the progression a year, a year and a half apart. We know from Raji that the risk collapses in that case, and it makes all the mechanistic sense. If the progression is slowed down and stopped, then the risk will collapse, and the calcium, even for a high score, will just remain as a leftover scar of a prior progressive disease. So I think we feel with magnesium, with K2, with low-carb diets, glucometers, with people actually taking action, the correct action, there's no question but that we'd make a massive difference to certain people's outcomes. But the problem or the sticking point is, I think with yourself, Malcolm, is the generic orthodox interventions. If they're applied, you're not going to see so much difference you know, for people who are identified. Well, no, no, that is absolutely the, the, it's the fundamental question of that outcome. I mean, uh, that's what we haven't, you haven't, or we haven't, one hasn't got the clinical trial evidence that you'd have to randomize people, you'd do a scan, you get 500 people and 500, or however many people you feel you need. It needs 30,000 in each arm. That's the problem. Well, I don't, it, well, hopefully, if you think your intervention is going to be more beneficial you need less people and people always say to me well the study was too small to, to to show a major effect i said no the study was too large to show an effect you have to have ten thousand people in either arm the effect you're studying must be so small it's 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 almost not worthwhile if you could do a study on 500 people and get statistical significance now you really have something that was important yeah i, I think the problem is the actual um amount of events that you're likely to see with the modern treatment of coronary artery disease i mean there was the mass trial, which was trying to um, 
show the benefit of abdominal aortic aneurysm screening, and they needed 60,000 patients. Um, and the studies, the RCTs that have been done in this area have been relatively small. Like there was Eisner, um, which was about 2,500 people randomized. And all that they showed was that if you put them through a calcium scan or not, that you, you don't increase downstream testing, that you don't increase cost. Um, over and above the no scan. So that sort of was a randomized trial in 2011 that showed or sort of tried to help with that aspect of the concern that you're, you're doing the wrong thing and you're going to be spending lots of cash. Um, there, there have been a few other randomized control trials in this area, but again, all suffering because the actual rate of coronary events at the end of the day was you know, in the calcium score of zero people, less than 1%, and the other people somewhere between 2%. So in order to have the correct power to detect uh, a statistically significant difference at the end, you, you're going to need at least 30,000 patients, and you're going to need to follow them up for more than five years at least, because um, there was another randomized control trial um, called Factor 64, which used CTCA um, or, or no CTCA in patients, and they showed that after five years, that the, the, the curves had diverged for, for, for future cardiovascular mace. So I think that you're looking at having to fund a, a, a big, big trial which follows people up for a long, long time to really prove um, what, you, what you need, Malcolm, in, in order to um, sort of get yeah. that point across. And is it not the case, though, Scott or Malcolm, to be honest, this whole RCT thing to me is almost, it's a distraction, well, to an engineering mind. And Professor Harvey Hecht uh, wrote about this in a paper uh, called The Deadly Double Standard. And he made the point that we need the best methods to identify the patients at risk. And obviously, then we have to do the best interventions. But he said that the this requirement for proving outcome has not been applied to any previous technology like the stress test or the Framingham. So all the weaker ways of identifying the vulnerable at-risk people all got a pass. And then the best one, which at least fulfills your first thing, Malcolm, that you actually do identify the right people, that one is being held to a much higher standard. And the reality is that really for me it all comes down to are we confident that we can intervene with someone and greatly reduce their risk once they're identified and an rct if one is done even scott as you say if you do thirty thousand people in each arm so you get enough high scores so you can see enough people where there's a reduction in events like the previous rcts were beginning to point towards they're only going to do generic interventions like statin or whatever, some blood pressure meds. So for me, the much more important thing is, by kind of a million miles, is that the world emerges in the coming 10 years to acknowledge everything in your blog, Malcolm, everything I say about root causes, or you do, Scott, or the Euroaspire study, where we know that 76% or much more of cardiac victims across Europe are essentially diabetic, and we know we can fix that. You know... The non-orthodox fixes for this modern chronic progressive disease. It's a disease of modernity, essentially. We talked about the Maasai before. They didn't have calcification. 
They didn't have events, the semaine. We know it's a modern chronic disease driven by environmental factors. We largely know what they are. And just because orthodox medicine ignores them, does that mean that people can't have the technology to identify they're at risk and to search, take responsibility and discover what the real causes are? I think you're conjoining a couple of things together that don't, actually don't fit. But the problem is, A, you're up against conventional thinking. Conventional thinking says RCT. Now, you don't have to do randomization in the way that, 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 that is standard. You can use what they call a Bayesian approach, which is that you can use each person that comes through as a study in and of itself. And I think you can also now use historical record a for the patient and B for what we know the general outcomes for these are. We should have enough data on this to say that we know that the, the scoring of calcium scoring is, is accurate enough that we know what's going to happen to people over a five-year period. So to an extent, we have our comparator group. Um, now, I know a lot of people won't accept that in the conventional world, but I do. And you're right. You know, antibiotics were never subjected to randomized controlled studies. In fact, I worked with the European Society of Cardiology at one point, set up an educational website for them at one point, and uh, we discovered that uh, around about 86% of interventions were not based on any evidence whatsoever. So yes, to an extent, it's like one rule for one lot, one rule for another. And the other thing is we're trapped in a paradigm whereby if you don't do a 10,000, 10,000, 20,000, 20,000 RCT, people go, well, you haven't proved it. And the only people that can realistically afford to do such studies are pharmaceutical companies with hundreds of millions of pounds. Your average person that cannot get the resources required to do this equally, if you suggest that some of the conventional interventions are not valuable, ethically, you're not going to be allowed to carry out your study because you're going to be told you must, you know, so, do X, Y, Z. So the problems are extremely big. There's no question on that. But I think you could do a kind of, you could still get the data on enough people using it as we have the historical evidence and patients as their own, as their own control, if you like, and use so, a Bayesian analysis so that every single person that comes through can be added to the database. That, I think that you, you could go along those, that line, if you like. I, I don't know if you agree with I that. I mean, I think, you know, I, I know for a fact that Scott Hart 2 trial is about to start and I'd give a shout out to Mohammed Mia who's a, a, a former trainee of mine and um, Professor David Newby in Edinburgh because David Newby run the Scott Hart trial which was an open label parallel group um, randomization of patients coming to a, a random chest pain clinic in, in Scotland and they got either no CT scan or a CT scan and there was 2,000 odd patients in it and after you know, sort of four years of the data, they, they found that they, by seeing the disease, by showing the people their disease, by starting guideline-based interventions, which you may agree with or not agree with, they were seeing curves diverge after three months for event event curves, and that was that was put down as being the the patients actually uh, grasping what had happened with the follow-up and and having guideline-based treatment. That's what it was put down to the uh, they would say, well, you know, statins and aspirin and people who had a, a certain level of disease was was improving that. So I think you've got to take that. And I know that Scott Hart 2 is coming, which is going to be, an again, randomised, but will be people who are asymptomatic, 
and they're going to show them whether they've got these or not again and follow them up in terms of the behavior transformation. Now, we know from previous randomized control trials in this area that if you show people the disease, that the risk scores, whatever you want to say, they're, they're rubbish. You can show a statistical improvement in the risk scores, or statistical improvement in the cholesterols, the triglycerides, the diabetic control. Um, there was a recent randomized control trial in the Lancet called VISA, which was quite a big one looking at carotid plaque, and they showed people a very simple diagram of the carotid plaque. And again, they showed that they can improve patients' adherence to medication, to lifestyle. So I think it's important because if we're going to burrow down into what constitutes this test being appropriate, then it, it boils down to prognostic efficiency, which I think you can see is great for calcium scanning because it's very predictive and it gives you incremental prognostic information above and beyond the standard crappy Birmingham risk scores, GVSD, whatever, give you a bit of a sniff. But the big question is, does it give you therapeutic efficiency, which is what Malcolm was talking about in terms of reducing adverse events? And I think we can get to that point now because we know from Raji and Heinz next door and these other trials showing we can reduce the risk factors that cause atherosclerosis in the first place. We can probably stall the scores, we can reduce the outcomes. And it's incrementally cost efficient. We know from Eisner randomized control trial that you don't spend more money after a CAC score. Um, and that is across the board because if you're the 50% who are CAC zero, you get your medication stopped, you get no more testing, or you shouldn't get any more tests, you don't get any more, more costs. If your CAC score more than 400, then you might spend more, something like 9,000, instead of the people who didn't get a scan at all being about 3,500. But that's only 8% of the population who will have that score. And you could say that those costs are justified because they've got significant disease. And we need to look into that more. Now, I take the point that they shouldn't be in a cath lab getting a stent, but they should certainly be getting ischemia ruled out and they should certainly be getting the right information. So I think between the three of us, I think we can come to an agreement that, yes, it is the right time to go forward with this. We have randomized controlled data. We have prognostic efficiency and therapeutic efficiency, and we should just start making more of this. That's my thought. I'd love to agree with you, Malcolm, but then the both of us would be wrong. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, I, 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 you know, the, the change in, when you're doing scanning and screening and intervention, sometimes the you know, you're moving things, you're never getting black and white, you're moving things in, in certain directions. Or just um, saying to Ivor, my little calculation at £400 a CAC scan, 30 million adults in the UK, that's four, that's 12 billion quid. So, but the, the other the other alternative is, is if you can rule out a number of people and say, well, actually, these 92% of people we don't need to do anything for, then yeah. that, that is a, a major benefit in and, and, and of itself, clearly. And I think that, you know, we're not, we're not, I mean, we're, we're discussing this and we're not arguing with each other. We're, we're passing comments and I think that the, 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 the reality is, I'm, that's it. when it comes down to it, it's my concern is, are people going to get the CAC scan and then go off and be told to do things that I would consider it's not going to do them any good by the conventional medical world? Yeah. Um, and, and that is the thing that I'd be, is, is this what I'm concerned about? if you like majorly because then 
your outcomes are just not going to be any better necessarily. Although you're saying that from the Scott Hart, was it Scott Hart study? Scott Hart study, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, that you can show that even using conventional guidelines and paradigms that you can get benefit, which it then is a good thing. Um, yeah. And then I suppose you've got to balance that off against what else you can do with the money, I suppose. But anyway, I was mm. sorry you were there. So yeah, on the point, Malcolm, about screening, you know, if you just screened everyone, that would add up to a lot of money. Now, you could argue that 45% of people currently on the statin roll will get zeros and they can go off. And I suppose it's important to remember, CAC has been rejected by the orthodoxy for a reason. So I always thought it's my enemy's enemy is my friend. They rejected it for a reason because they knew that more people would be taken off drugs and interventions than would be put on. And we've seen the number needed to treat in some studies with a zero score is like 500 or infinite. In other words, a zero, they shouldn't get anything. And then you see sometimes numbers needed to treat as low as 20 or 30 in very high scores. So you can actually put the statins where they do some good. But I don't think CAC, though, we're talking about mass screening, to your point about the 12 billion. For me, or certainly my whole ethos around this is, it's for people that everyone knows about the scan, knows there's a test that can give them a 20x you know, risk multiplier, high versus low, and they know they can go in and find out if they have a problem and then take the responsibility to deal with it. So I always think of it as something we need to get the message out on for people to choose, to put the power back in the patient's hands. So it, the whole argument about mass screening I almost don't get into that too much. Yes, yeah, Scott says, if they do a lot of screening and the orthodoxy actually starts doing it, there's benefits as well, like taking people off meds uh, and all that stuff. But I'm not thinking so much about that. I'm thinking about more the personal question, like in your blog, for instance, uh, should you get a scan? You, the individual, should you get a scan? So maybe we could talk about that question, should you get a scan? And does it depend on the type of individual you are? Yeah, well, I think, sorry, jumping in. I think that, I mean, I've had enough emails from people who've had a high CAC score who it's turned them a bit into obsessively worried about their health and anxious and worried and, and then wondering what to do. And and I think some people, like, as I said, Ivor, you're, a, you're both Irish and an engineer, so... So you don't give a damn about anything. <laughs> Not everyone is like that. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that as a compliment, Malcolm. Yeah. But you know, it's a great point because those people who are worried, is the discussion then that they are people who really ought not to have got a test in the first place? Because were they people who just went hoping for a zero and then when they didn't get one, when they knew that the whole point of the scan is it would tell you the truth, uh, why did they get one if when it does its job and tells them they've got a problem to manage and deal with, that they then get wound up? Do people need to be counselled before they go? Is it really at that level? I think I'll let Scott talk because he's done a lot more scanning than I've done and dealt with mm. a lot more people, although I get the kind of fallout from it. But it's, um, it is this thing of, I have said to people in surgery, um, you know, if I'm doing this test, we may be looking for cancer. If you've got cancer, do you want to know? And if they say yeah. no, I say, well, I'm not doing the test then. Now, yeah. I know that's considered an extremely outrageous statement, but I say, I'm not going to 
you know, there's some people say, oh, well, if I've got cancer, I don't want to do anything about it. There are people like this. So there's no point in going, oh, that's, that's the most extreme end of it. But if someone says, well, if, it's a, if it scores 3,000, do you want to do anything about it? Well, I'm not going to change my lifestyle. Well, then don't have the scan. Yeah. And that's yeah. obviously sitting at one extreme. And, and not so, everyone's there, but I just, that's, a, these people do exist. This comes back around to what we talked about at the start with the um, life stage segmentation model. Like, I mean, I don't know where you sit on it, but as I said, I'm probably a, a balanced compensator with a bit of healthy realism. But the majority of punters out there are unconfident fatalists, live for tomorrows, hedonistic immortals, DIY health deniers. So they all just got their own little way that they see health. Um, and it's not until it's there that there's a problem that you can change them out of that paradigm. And some people can't change because they don't have the literacy or the um, ability to I'm a fighter or a thriver to move themselves from being a unconfident fatalist to suddenly becoming a health conscious realist. It just doesn't happen. And I think ultimately you're going to potentially see a lot of health conscious realists and maybe some balanced compensators coming for a scan because they want to know and they want to be able to take action or you know, find for themselves a way forward with help. But you've got a whole other swathe, possibly even 50% of the population who don't want to know. Um, if they did know, probably wouldn't want to take action. Or if they did know, they would just be exceptionally anxious and worried and it would probably make them worse. So I think it is about, um, Malcolm has a point about teasing out what that potential person wants and where they kind of are in their worldview of, of, their, of their health. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really important. So to that, Scott, and I guess we always knew that was the case, and I may take it for granted, or as Malcolm says, I'm Irish and all the rest. I'm an engineer. But the thing is, the people who are getting the information on the scan, if they understand what it is, and, and when I give talks on it, I show these enormous risk multipliers. I mean, I actually... Uh, kind of emphasize how scary it is in order to get the message across so people know wow i could go in there and get a huge score so who will go in who should not go in i mean the people you're talking about who'll only get worried or the people who are not going to take action anyway they're not really people who were targeting like people to give them the knowledge to take control of their own health we're we're worried about the people who'll drop dead at 55 with three kids who had no idea they had a disease the first they found out they were dead and they'd like to go back in time and have an opportunity to at least find out should they wish to and take action is that not what it's all about like actually giving people a chance to save their own life should they choose to take it i agree with that well first of all you've got to demonstrate you definitely can save their life um which is which is ah Malcolm honestly you know from your blog we know the causes and then the other the other uh, issue I mean I have yes it's um it, it is this I, I was unaware of these classifications of people coming in I like them actually I'm going to use this in future yeah because we do I do see this with people and I think I suppose I'm when I was, when someone's saying a screening test I'm thinking screening test that means everybody um yeah. A, 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 a modified screening test for people who 
would be motivated to do the right things, then we're we're getting rid of a lot of the 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 concerns I have, which is you're going to worry people who are then just going to go off and fatalistically go down the pub and drink themselves yeah. to death. And and that, 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 that's an extreme, but that we see you can see this happening with some people. So I think yes, I would say that if screening can be if we can work out a way of of ensuring that that, that almost a bit of pre-counselling, if we yeah. find this, do this; if we find this, do this, and etc. That would be a an extreme. That would that would change the that would, that would change the cause the benefit to harm ratio around in in, in a significant way. That's absolutely I'll, true. So I'd give you a story on this one because I want to try and make it a bit sort of more upbeat. There was a guy who came to see me who was thirty seven, and the only reason he came was he had an argument with his ex-partner on the phone and felt a bit of a twinge in the center of his chest and his dad died of an MI at the age of 50. So that's why he came to my clinic. I said, you're going in the scanner and we'll do an echo. And it, to be fair, his ECG didn't look completely normal. He went in the scanner at age 37 and got a 2000 score, calcium score of 2000 in all three vessels, including the left main. And later that day, well, in fact, the next day, we admitted him. He went to the cath lab and we found that he had a blocked distal left main into his LED and everything was shot down and he was running on sluggish flow. And actually, his anterior wall was starting to become hypokinetic. So the main front wall of his pumping chamber was going down the tubes. He then immediately went across for an inpatient coronary artery bypass graft and he had a six-way bypass done and he now plays five-a-side football every week and um, he's much, much healthier. He doesn't obviously get any... He, he never, ever had an MI, so his, his, his anterior wall was hibernating, so now his left ventricular function is completely normal and he's completely re-bummed. Now, I put it to you that that guy didn't have much left, much longer left on collaterals. He, he might have collateralized everything and lived roughly to the same age of his, as his father, maybe even less, how, you know, given how bad his coronaries were. But he was a bit of a drinker, a bit of a smoker, doesn't do that now, obviously completely seen the error of his ways. And obviously that familial thing was just lying there, waiting to pounce on him. So I've got multiple examples of that. And I think that, when you say that intervention is possibly not the right thing to do and leave people alone and don't do those things, I think it's really important that people know that intervention can do amazing things for people in the right circumstances. It's just making sure that someone doesn't get a calcium score and ends up in a cath lab getting a stent, you know, without going through the proper channels and the right information. So I can see it from both sides of the fence here, but there are so many stories to tell. That I, I, you know, I could bore you. Oh, no, no. Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, the trouble is when you get stories like this and then you get people who say, I mean, when they get screened and it was picked up and they said, oh, thank God it was picked up. But I, I do get contrary stories and it, you do get contrary stories the other way around. I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't want you to end on a negative note or anything. I think the, the important thing, I think, when this discussion is, is I hope that if anyone listens into it, that they can take some of the concerns maybe they didn't, hadn't understood before some of yeah. the things you've said that are the benefits they haven't thought before and i think some of the hopefully um can can go and discuss things with their own health provider in a more knowledgeable way which is which is what it's all about in the end isn't it it doesn't to an extent it doesn't really matter what i think 
I can say to people what I think, you can say to people what you think. What matters is, is you're getting a balanced view from different people and then they can come to their own decisions. But, you know, speaking personally, a great screening test is one, it's got good sensitivity and specificity, and at the end of it, you can intervene based on those results and definitely show the outcomes are positive. I think that, 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 that there are positive outcomes that you've seen your own positive outcomes. There can be negative outcomes, there's cost issues, there's all sorts of issues of the wrong people getting scanned. But I think hopefully from this, it's opened up a, it's a thinking in people's minds a little more. And, and hopefully by, I, I hope that by challenging you guys a bit, that it strengthening, strengthens your thinking and your arguments as well, because that's how these things work. I'm, I'm not here to destroy coronary <laughs> screening as a concept. I want to, if it's going to happen, I want it to be as good as it possibly can. And that, that, that it does, and any of the potential harms are reduced down as much as it possibly can. Because I don't, I don't criticize things I don't care about. I criticize things that I want to get better, uh, is my kind of philosophy on things. Uh, I, if I didn't care about coronary artery screening, I wouldn't have done a blog and I wouldn't care. You know, well, I mean, I maybe, sorry. ultimately, it could mean that we need to think about a, a clinic in the future that is set up that basically deals with these issues about positive coronary calcium scores yeah. and so that we can you know we can make something that is is a cutting edge that is trying to do the best and and obviously that's how you potentially do research but that's a whole other you know bureaucratic um sort of wasteland is is research in the uk i mean it's just taking yeah. my phd fellow three years to get over the line and recruit his first patient um, with the amount of bureaucracy in, 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 a, in a, ran, a randomized clinical trial he's doing. So it's just, um, I think your point's made, Malcolm, that we need to make sure that people who have a positive get the right uh, information going forward. But I don't think that should take away from the fact that they should, shouldn't get this. Done. Yeah, and that, that's fair enough, Scott. And I see both your points there. And absolutely, Malcolm, I mean, misuse of any technology and in a sense, giving a very poor intervention that doesn't really change much, you know, and, and, and not treating a screening type phenomenon properly, you know, that, that's just bad. And, and there's always going to be bad in medicine. Scott, you're focusing kind of primarily there when you're talking about the actual interventions of a medical nature. And we don't want stents and we don't want useless stents. We want proper interventions, as you described. I suppose from my... I would say you do want, you potentially do want a stent or you do want revascularization if you've got severe ischemia and really bad coronaries that ain't going to last you much longer. Um, you know, I, for, for sure, Scott, what I meant there was you don't want the unnecessary stents no. as per the Widowmaker movie. You know, no, that you, are just you don't want someone banging a stent want. into a 30% lesion that they think looks bad on an angiogram. You don't want that. You need an FFR. You need the whole shooting match to prove that it's going to be something worth doing. Exactly. I mean, that's basically just plumbing and it, it's misguided plumbing. So we all know the problems with, with some of the business, but you're talking about getting proper medical interventions, surgical interventions and all that. And, and that's, that's fine. Calcium scan can deliver an enormous amount of life saving when that happens. But again, I just say, as we come to a close for me it's not even so much about the medical intervention it's about all the people i'm seeing out there 
who are dropping their glucose, dropping their A1C, who are all yeah. over what they eat. I mean, if we think about it, a modern chronic disease of cardiovascular disease, and there's lots more, Weston Price in the 1920s said sugar, refined carbs, and vegetable fats. In the 70s, Man et al., the same trio, and they didn't know about Weston Price. What's the top of our pyramid of cause? Sugar, refined carb, vegetable oils, processed foods. And then you add in a series of other mineral and vitamin deficiencies or, you know, toxic stuff from the environment. You've largely got what's driving the progression of vascular disease broadly. So when you find out you have big disease, you can intervene yourself and probably do way more to stop your heart attack than even the medical system can offer. Is, is that a, a sense of a hope that we could get there in the coming years, that everyone becomes aware? Yeah, because the, it's a pan-vascular process in the coronary arteries, as we talked about before. And if you, if you start settling down all those inflamed plaques um, by you know, knocking, or as I say, getting all your ducks in a row, um, and making everything as best as you possibly can do, then all you're left with is the other underlying stuff that Malcolm talks about in his blogs, that the, you know, the, the stuff that is under the radar, that isn't your conventional risk factor bingo. We know from interheart that 90% of cardiovascular disease is preventable anyway when you look across nine different basic risk factors. So I think that, you know, even just doing it on that scale should provide a massive amount of preventative benefit to you know people once they wake up and they realize that this is something that they can they can own and they can do quite simply that's the where we're at i think um now maybe out of a job scott um but uh, <laughs> well that's fine <laughs> that's fine <laughs> nothing to do. Um, well, I mean, just do research artery. into CAC then. <laughs> <laughs> Won't be any CAC. No, I think that, that um, you know, yes, we need to, uh, what we're dancing around a little bit, because we don't want to sound too controversial, is is a lot of the conventional thinking here is, is, is off beam, which is another of my major concerns, is the average person getting a scan is not going to yeah. be seen by someone who's thought about it as intensively as, as yourself. Ivor yourself, Scott, is doing these things when I would consider to be doing the right things right. The problem we're pinging them off into a, into a system which, in my opinion, is likely to do as much harm to people as good in, in many cases. And, and that, that's really where my major concerns lie, I suppose, is we're firing people off anxious to do something and which your comment will be turned into, uh, into, into sort of um, vegans um, thinking that's so, going to help oh. Or, or they fall into the jaws of a, a greedy uh, interventionalist who just wants to throw in six unnecessary stents. But for sure, Malcolm, I mean, this is, this is a problem. Just to give an anecdote like yours, uh, Scott, from the other side, uh, I have a 29-year-old in America. Father died at 39, massive MI. And they said he's not having a calcium scan, but he felt he lived a pretty rough life and he wanted to get one. And eventually he got one and it was 600. And, and his bloods, yeah, for a 29-year-old. But, but that guy is all over it after that. And I mean, we, we corresponded a lot. There's no medical advice from me. I just go through the science. I send the talks with all the root causes. And came back to me later, his blood glucose right down. You know, his ratios were beautiful looking. So, 
you know that that for me is the big thing that people who who want to take ownership find out they've got a problem and then they actually take the action and maybe as we wrap up though malcolm and i agree with a lot of what you said the orthodox medical system is a long way to go and i think we need to break out of it a little and go straight to the people like you kind of are anyway and i am but how long do you think it'll be before a large proportion of western people let's say are pretty well aware that glycemia the sugar refined carb vegetable oil it's not the fat it's not vegan how long do you think it'll be with the freedom of the internet before a large proportion of people will know broadly what the root causes are and how to do a targeted program to resolve it's a difficult question to answer because because um you've, i've seen the history of medicine and stupid ideas have carried on for an awfully long time interestingly the um i think the american diabetes association the um the new chairman and or person in charge of it person whatever that yeah. term they use for them has recently come out and said that um that she's gone on to a basically a, a, a low carb high fat diet and has lost weight and her diabetes is now under control yeah. so we have the the chairman or president or whatever it is that she is of the ada is now saying this we have the work done by david unwin who i know well yeah. who i i used to go to talks with and his job is to say you should cut out the carbohydrates and then everyone would say oh my god if i eat fat i'm going to die of heart disease my job was to say don't be so stupid there's no evidence for that whatsoever don't worry about it um and i think that we are seeing you know when these things change they will change like that there will be no sort of gradual change suddenly everybody in the american diabetes association and all these people who've been telling people to eat carbohydrates and avoid fat will suddenly say you know i never said that you know it's um yeah. the new the new the world will move in very fast where's a tipping point tipping points happen unexpectedly quickly and at times you don't expect them i i feel and maybe that's just that's just hope that we're reaching that tipping point we are closing in on it and mm. and i when it changes it will be just sudden and overnight um and i i i think within the next two to three years at some point could be tomorrow could be three years time this will be changed now that may be unnaturally optimistic but i've i've tried to look at the signs if you like like some ancient uh, sort of uh, uh, sort of Inuit <laughs> guide you know, that can tell the spring is coming. You know, I, I see the signs of the spring and the summer coming. Now I might be completely wrong, and it might be there's a big backlash from the likes of Willett and Hugh and all that from Harvard, uh, and, and supported entirely by gigantic pharmaceutical company money plus plus um, plus the food industry money. But I, I I do think it's changing, so I think it's going to change. Yeah, and I agree, Malcolm. I, I think it's really beginning to move now. And you know, another great thing the, the, with regard to the scan, in a study with 20 human uh, trials with LDL and calcium scan results in them, there was no correlation across all 20. So I think the calcium scan is going to have another benefit. We're going to see super high LDL people with zero scores. We're going to see people with low LDL with massive scores. Yeah, you know, I've already seen to, that. Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing it all the time. Yeah. People are my, coming my, back. It, it's my, my favorite case is a guy wrote from wrote to me in the states, 72 years old, average LDL level for the last 30 years, 18.5. No discernible cardiovascular disease in any artery in his body. 
Um, yeah. I didn't believe it. Well, I wasn't sure I believed him because people write to me with certain stuff, man, but actually he turned into being a case history. And uh, so I said, oh, well, that is true then. So, I mean, yes, that would be a lovely thing to happen as well. And and saving people from statins because that, where they're unnecessary because we're going to get a ton of people off them, high LDL and medium LDL, just because we actually take the trouble to look to see if they have disease or not instead of guessing. So, yeah, all to play for, I think. Well, anyway, any wrap-up comments from the, the peria, as we say in Ireland? Perius. <laughs> as we say in Scotland, uh, you, you choose a window, you're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. No, I think wrap-up comment is, I think it's been a really interesting discussion. I have learned a very, the most important thing I've learned is this definition of different types of people because uh, that deal with health issues in this. I mean, I, I know it intuitively, but I'm very interested yeah. in that. Actually, people have separated people into this type, which I think could be very valuable for, for, for acting on medical interventions and how we deal with these things, personally speaking, personally. So that's something I'm, I'm very, uh, very happy to learn. And also, um, just, you know, I think we're all reading off pretty much the same page, same concerns. Mm -hmm. We want to get this better. We want to do this better. Yeah. I would, um, yeah, I would echo that. I think we moved it along a little bit. We've moved the needle um, a bit further. And, you know, we can you know, appreciate the nuances in all of this and that, you know, what's right for one person in some circumstances might not be right for another. But broadly, um, if you've got, a strong family history of, of cardiovascular disease, uh, heart attacks, brothers and sisters with stents and bypasses, familial hyperlipidemia, all these other things that people kind of know are in the family history and they just bury their head in the sand and say, oh, that's not going to be me. Um, then there is something you can do to actually know, you know, look under the hood and do the dipstick test and see whether you have got this developing and then take action the hope that you can reduce that um, future event. So I would, you know, I would say I think it's been really useful. And thanks, Iva, for um, inviting us on. Oh, not at all, guys. And I really enjoyed it because I love an argument anyway, as everyone <laughs> knows. <laughs> but I've certainly been reminded too, Malcolm, uh, I'd probably become complacent about the shortfalls and shortcomings of the medical industry. So it's been a good reminder for me and focusing in on on exactly that that what we're really about is personal responsibility finding out what's under the hood should you wish to find out and take action before you keel over but that that will depend on the individual taking responsibility and thinking about what they're doing and not just willy-nilly wandering in because it's a new fad uh, that that doesn't really serve so well so excellent it's freezing cold in my office here i'm almost shaking uh, with excitement but uh, that's great really appreciate your time guys and I have the other whole chunk of material from when we were chatting the other day on the various different points so I'll splice them all together into a, a kind of a Friday night special for people to watch how's that okay. sound? thanks very much great Good. stuff Steve. thanks guys bye, Take care. Later. bye bye